0: one thing that you'll find about me is um, I'm a little different than my beloved cousin. Um, He's very um, taller, but he's very much, you know, a very processed, slow, and deliberate, and I'm very passionate, fast, and deliberate. So together we make a mean team. And I'm so grateful that we're together in these years of our life, pastoring churches. Um, my wife and I, of course, we met when I was about 10 years old. But kind of it's really neat for you all to know, because most of the time I say, I'm from Fort Smith, Arkansas. And they're like, huh, where's that? And, you know, you are like, oh, yeah, that's where I, I go once a month. You know, yeah, up there. Fort Smith, Arkansas was where I was born in a garage apartment because my parents were Christian hippies. And they decided to have babies in houses. And so I was born in a garage apartment, literally. In Fort Smith, Arkansas. Still have not seen it to this day, but I believe my parents because they're not liars. And then we grew up going to church in Alma Van Buren and Fort Smith, Grace Churches, and I was so blessed to have a community of faith that loved the Lord, honored Him. My parents felt when they were, I was about 10 years old, that we needed to move to Nashville, Tennessee. So my dad moved the whole family to Nashville, Tennessee, and he was in the music business and um, didn't pan out the way they thought it was. And then about four or five years later, the Lord spoke to him and said, I've moved you here for Ryan. I firstborn, first born. And I was just like, and some dad tells me, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, because <laughs> I could be close to the music business rocking, because I kind of, you know, inherited that. And I thought, well, I'm going to be a rock star. And uh, so when I get to Tennessee, I meet this little lovely lady over here, Amanda Kay. And if you haven't spent enough time with her, you need to, because uh, we call her Spitfire. And I call it encouragement. <laughs> See, everybody sees me up here with fire and passion. That's because I married that chick. <laughs> Years later, it's like, okay, I guess I can say my mind. I guess I can say what, what's on my heart, you know? And uh, I know that is a really long, wide thing there. It won't happen again, I promise. And so anyways, um, we became good friends. We grew up in church together, I, high school sweethearts. We were on the worship team together. It was lovely. It was wonderful. And um, we fell in love. And, and early after high school, um, before she even graduated from college, we decided to get married. And um, <clears throat> during that time, I decided I wanted to pursue a rock career because I wanted to be a rock star for Jesus. I'm being honest. And uh, so we moved to Austin, Texas with a Mohawk and uh, got there. And, I, and the thing about it is, you know, if you have giftings from God, um, you can still use them for the world. <laughs> God doesn't take them back from saying, ha-ha, you're not serving me. You know, I'm taking it back. No, he lets you. And, and you know what's crazy is you do really increase in that gift if you craft it and, you, and you're disciplined on how you, you treat the giftings of God. And so I got to Austin, Texas, and I was getting better and better at music, and I found myself getting further and further away from the Lord, though. And there was a time when I came there, and, and, and the Lord said, uh, you are beginning to struggle with sin like you've never had in your entire life. I would found myself addicted to pornography. And had a rage problem, had a drinking problem. I found myself around guys that were drinking and smoking, and it was going to the extreme that it was going to kill my life. The Lord said, I'm either going to expose you to your entire family or you're going to be addicted to this for the rest of your life. So uh, I said, okay, how do I get out of this? And uh, the Lord said, I want you to put your music down. And I put the music down, which was the idol in my life, and he revealed to me that he had called me to, to a different form of ministry, to preaching and teaching and writing and such. And so we moved to Dallas, Texas to go to Bible college. And while we were there, we met a pastor and just really felt like God was drawing us to him. We served on his ministry for a few years. And then after we graduated from Bible college, he asked us to come on staff as a young adult pastor. It was the only offer out of like six ministry opportunities that paid, his did not pay. And so God says, I want you to take that one. I was like, great idea, Lord. I serve you till I die. And so I did that, and uh, it was great. We suffered. It was wonderful. And, uh, but thank God for a pastor who loved me through it and gave me his life, and he did that. And we found ourselves pastoring young adults, and we went from five in a small group to close to 100 at one time. And Then all of a sudden we saw this big decline and all of a sudden I couldn't attract anything even if I wanted to. I could have said free money, free iPhones or whatever, you hipsters, come here, coffee. And nobody would come. And then we realized that God was moving us on to a new place and I talked with my pastor and he said, 10 months ago, the Lord told me that he was calling you to go plant another church. And I was like, with who? And he's like, take your whole team. And I was like, are you serious? And he said, yes, absolutely. He said, you served faithfully under us, take the team, go plant the church that God's given you. So we did with 15 others, we moved, you know what, 800 miles away to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And all of a sudden, when I get there, I remember the word that the Lord gave my father and said, I moved you here for Ryan. And all of a sudden I found myself planting a church in the place that we originally moved for my family. And it was like destiny. It was all about the plan of God, the will of God, but it didn't happen until I completely emptied myself of all my ideas and my pursuits, my vain imaginations. And here we are now, planning a church, and I mean, it's great. You know, when you're planning a church, like anybody that comes through the door, you're like, hey, welcome. Oh, what do you believe? I don't care, just come in. We'll pray over you or something, you know, it's good. We had a Muslim come the other day, it was great. I was like, welcome. Hi, you know, your eyes are really dark. You know, let's talk. But, um. It's okay. it's okay to laugh. <laughs> I want to tell you something as we get into the Word. Today, I don't need you to give me an amen to encourage me. Hallelujah. I want you to take an amen if you want to grab a hold of what I'm saying. If you want to embrace the truth that God speaks. This is about the King of Kings, and he's all about you. Amen? amen. I say amen. Receive that, buddy. Like, I don't know about that one. Amen. You know, it's not a cool thing to say. I want you to embrace it. I want you to be alive because God is passionate about you living out the fullness of who he is on this earth. I I love the idea that it's all about him and he's all about us. If you keep your eyes completely focused on the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he is completely focused on you. And I want us to live that way. I want you to turn in your Bibles real quick um, to, um, let's go to Mark eight. I want to talk to you about something that I'm super passionate about. And it's this, this, this problem I see in the church in the West more than anything, but it's beginning to influences, influence the churches of the world. And we've begun to believe a lie that God cares merely about your desires and nothing else. That if you meant to do well, that God was proud. That if you meant to love someone, then God was proud of you. How many of y'all know when your kids mean to do something, but then they don't do it? You don't sit there and go, oh, my sweet, 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 here's a cookie, here's a... Nobody does that. Doesn't mean we don't love our children. It means we are not pleased with the behavior in which they are participating in, right? I love it when my daughter desires to do right. But what I really love is when she desires and she actually does it. I mean, you know, when they're small, they think they can't do anything, but then they think they can do everything. You know, you ask them to do something I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't. But then they're like, don't do that. Yeah, I can. Watch. <laughs> no. That's my daughter anyways. I don't know how some of y'all's kids like, oh, right on the stage. You'll stay right there. Not Ellie. Come on, dad. But I want to talk to you about actualizing the desires of the heart. Can we talk about that today? Everybody say with me, the desire is not enough. Now, everybody, come on now. The desire is not enough. All right. I want to start in Mark 8, verse 34. It says, when he called the people to himself with his disciples, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what what will a man gain if he uh, exchanges for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. I want to talk to you about something that I think is so interesting about the human nature, about the human heart. There are two realities that I think that, that I can say this. I kind of wrote this statement for you. One of the greatest mysteries and challenges you will ever face is the reality of God and the reality of man, the reality of heaven and the reality of earth, the reality of the supernatural and the reality of the natural. It's so interesting because if you look at God in creation, he was purposeful in the way that he designed everything. And the way in which he created man is to be a living being that had ideas, that had concepts, that had drive, that had a will, that had passion, that had, that felt things that could feel love, that could feel, as he knew was going to come, fear, could feel pain. But he was satisfied in the way in which he created us and said, this is very good. And then you start seeing the fall of man. We we distance ourselves from God. We sinned against his commandments. And years later, he has, he starts all over with Noah And he keeps the same promises and the same commands to Noah that he gave in the garden. And you fast forward and he has to, he's just, just so sick and tired of not being close to his people that he decides to establish a covenant with a man named Abram. And he establishes a new way and he begins to develop this relationship with a people that he's always desired, an intimacy, a relationship with people. but We've pushed away from God time and time again. Years later, we see the development of the law. God puts it in place for us to know what sin is so that we'll stop sinning so that we can be in close fellowship with God. We see that nothing works time and time again. We see a lot of people who desire to do well, but they just don't do it. Jesus comes on the scene. The son of God comes as a lowly lamb. He has humility in everything. The Bible talks about him being the fullest expression of God's love, and yet he delights in the fear of the Lord. He is a mighty man of God and yet a tender man of God. And we see him with honor and respect and dignity for all mankind. Love, love, love goes to the cross and takes on the sins of the world, the wrath. You know, I'm, I'm just blown away at times that we have no idea, no true idea of how painful that moment was. But he goes through with it all the way to the end, resurrects from the dead by God Almighty. And he leaves us a command, and he says that to wait for the helper. I'm going to send the gift to you. Not many days from now you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And it had been through his time and his ministry that he had talked about the spirit of truth and how he was going to come and continue to teach the things that I have begun teaching you. And there was this this scripture right here in the middle of his teaching, uh, you know, two-thirds way through his ministry before he goes to the cross. And he calls out to a group of people. And it says, I love how it says he called the people. It doesn't put any classification. It doesn't tell you exactly who they were. It just says basically it's like multitudes. It's anyone that was around. And his disciples. And he says to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now we can sit here and try to over-spiritualize this and bring out a bunch of great books in Pastor Devin's office and try to explain all of this. There's some good ones in there. Don't steal them. But at the end of the day, don't you just kind of wonder, what does that mean? What was he trying to communicate? And I submit to you that it was talking about a forsaking of one way of living and receiving and accepting and embracing and living a completely different way. And yet at the core of it the root of it was God himself and that if you have a desire to follow after him you then have to do a few things like denying yourself taking up your cross and following after him I remember I remember reading these kind of verses growing up and being perplexed like um like that guy we saw on the interstate like with his with his th- this tree on the back of him that he was carrying across the world hey Following Jesus. And I'm like, I have school. Like, I I can't do that. I mean, seriously. And then we hear deny yourself. Oh, yeah. After dinner, when they bring the chocolate, like, mama, I'm not eating that. I'm denying myself. Don't you ever wonder? Like, how do I deny myself? How do I take up my cross? I thought I was following you. I thought when I said that prayer and I said, God, come into my heart. I asked you. I mean, I was telling Pastor Devin, I just found out when I was like 24 that Jesus didn't live in my heart. Do y'all know that? When you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, by the way, not Savior and Lord, Lord and Savior, come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. You accept him, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. But I remember, I was like, well, then where is Jesus at? If I, I, mean, I mean, I was in Bible college, and I was like, he, he's not in my heart? But I thought, I, "That's how am I going to follow him? I'm, the Holy Spirit, I don't even know how to do that. And I found that there were some key components that we as a church are missing. And I want to show them to you. I found here that the confusion is the salvation part that we see in this message and the discipleship part that we just dismiss. Listen to me. The salvation of our God is a free gift to anyone who will believe in their heart, confess with their mouth, receiving that free gift. Amen. Look, y'all need to know this. There is nothing you can do that is worth or has enough value to receive the gift of God. You could, you could not do anything that was even worthy to be able to get his salvation. You can't, so stop trying. It is by his grace alone. Now let's look at some scripture about this because you got to see the salvation is free, but discipleship is going to cost you everything. Salvation right here, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Everybody say gift. Amen. Amen. Oh man, you guys, I'm going to just, this one, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Look, I want to, I want to relieve you of any pressure that the enemy has put on you over the years of your life. You do not have to do a single thing to receive God's grace. His mercy that extends to you, his salvation is not predicated upon your works. Otherwise, you'd be able to stand before him and boast, and no one will, because that gift is that good. The sacrifice was that good. The wrath of God was sufficed by the punishment that was placed on Jesus. Romans 5.17, for by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one much more those who receive the abundance of grace, and the what gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everybody say amen. amen. Now here's the thing. When Jesus left, one of his last things that he tells his disciples, not his converts, is go therefore into all the nations and make disciples, not converts. Are you a convert? You better be. But move on to discipleship. Walk with God, talk with God, receive his correction, receive his love, then do the same with others. Amen. But it says right here in Luke 14, 14, 25, I thought this was profound. And I put this kind of long, but I wanted to read this to you. The great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Pause. Your pastor ever tell you, hate everybody you know, so you can be a disciple of God. I hope not. Y'all better get up out of your seat and just leave. Pastor, can I have some of those books before we leave? Pastor, Can I I grab some of those? No, 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 no. He would never say that, right? But Jesus is making a, a contrast here that is worth looking at. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross, there it is again, and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down and first count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him. Nobody wants to be mocked in this room. Come on, you liar. You do not want to be mocked. And it says here going on in verse 30, this man began to build and was not able to finish or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able to ten thousands to meet him or come against him with 20,000 or else while he is with others is still a great way off. He sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, when you take those and you partner them together and you realize all of a sudden when Jesus leaves, he says to make disciples, you realize, wow, that, like, that's, that's serious. So all of a sudden you look at your vacation Bible school, bless the Baptist church, hallelujah, and they'll tell you all this stuff about repent, 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 repent. You're like, I am. Every year, I did. I wanted to be saved. My mom said, You went up to every single altar call every year at vacation Bible school. And I was like, Well, them Baptists, they preach it, they preach the word. Have y'all never been in a Baptist church? I love the Baptist. My current current building that we're renting is a Baptist church. Hallelujah. (laughs) But I remember this, this constant feeling of like I needed to repent of my sins and then get right with God. And it's all based on the idea of salvation, 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 which is only one step in the process of life with God. Amen. The second part that is the most important is being his disciple. So when we preach our messages, what do we say? God loves you, you sinner. <laughs> You've been saved by grace, you sinner. That's true, you are a sinner. Not head. Get right with God. He said, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry that I sinned against you, even though I don't even know what that means. And I submit to your lordship and you have become my king and my God and my savior. Amen. Now he's like, all right, now let's do the discipleship part. This is what it's like. If you were to break your foot, Your foot needs to be put back in alignment. We got to just take it over there and right back into place. Probably sounds a little bit worse than that. Because we're in church, right? You get back in place. Guess what happens now? Now you have the rehabilitation process. You have to learn how to walk again. And the more severity of that injury, the longer the process of rehabilitation is. This is what's so interesting about our God. He's calling us to not just be made right, but to be made whole and complete through the act of discipleship. That's why he did not say, just go make converts. Go tell people they need to be saved because I'm a holy God and the rest of you are sinners. You are that. You are that until he washes you clean. Now stop acting like that and live who you really are in Christ Jesus. But it only happens through discipleship. And so I put on here, I thought it was so interesting because when Jesus makes a statement like, you must hate everything and everyone. You must forsake everything that you are. And you're like, wait a minute, but the pastor told me that Jesus died for me because he loved me and he obeyed the father and God loved me. So what? I thought this was about me. No, not from that approach. It's about God. It is the one who had the wisdom and the foresight and the understanding of his creation, how he could redeem them back to himself. And yet he wants to teach you a new and better way on how you can be completely restored to who you really were supposed to be. Everybody say amen to that. Do you ever feel like you're doing something you feel like, I just know I can do it better than this. I'm like, I just feel like I can do it just a little bit better than this than I'm doing right now. Have you ever felt that? It's because you don't have enough God operating in your life. And God says, hey, I know, I know, baby. Let me help you. Let me help you. I want to put this in you. I remember I used to play music for, oh man, I just all the time, absolutely loved it. But I found myself having like a limit, like a, like a cap, you know? I couldn't go past this one particular area of, of, of music theology, if you will. I, I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I had a cap. So then I would just write it off of whatever. But I always knew there was more inside of me. When I accepted the Lord Jesus as my Lord and Savior, not just my Savior, I started seeing him transform me in ways where I wouldn't even practice the guitar for weeks upon weeks and pick it up and sound the exact same as I did weeks ago. I would find myself where my brain operated in a level that I thought I could, but it never actually did before that. And I realized that key component was I wasn't forsaking everything that I knew and everything that I was just to know him. And in order for that to happen, I had to make the decision to go beyond the desire that's in my heart and actualize that thing, which is in there. And I want to submit to you that everyone in this church has a desire to follow God. Otherwise, you would not be here unless your mom made you. I know that, dude. My mom was like, I can't make you worship, but I can make you stand up. And I'm like, watch me try. You know, I never did that. My mom was scary. <laughs> I love you, Mom. But I want to go one step further because I think that there's an issue. There's an issue in your life, and there was is an issue in my life as to why we won't actualize the desires of our heart. What is it that keeps you from going from the place of, I desire this, to where I'm actually doing this? Because the preacher can get up here and he can spit on everybody and everything. Don't take that bread right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's sanctified. (laughs) Pastor prayed over it. No, but I can get up here with passion and I can stir you up and get you ready. But then when you walk out that door and you start feeling all of the things that you're susceptible to that so easily besets you and the sins, you're going to find yourself going, What was he even talking about? Yeah, it was an encouraging message. And yes, I have a desire to follow God, but how do I do that? How do I actually do that? And I realize there's some things in our way. The first thing I see is ignorance. Hosea said that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Isaiah 5, 5, 13. I thought this was profound. Therefore, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Their honorable men are famished and their multitude dry up with thirst. And I realize some of us are just ignorant of the truth. You need to ask God, Lord, make me aware of the truth. I need a knowledge. I need to understand where I'm missing it, where I'm not walking in the truth. And God is faithful, and he will give that to you because he's all about you. I love how the Bible says in Philippians, to cast your care upon him for he cares for you. The purpose of him telling you to cast your care upon him is because he cares for you. Not because he wants to fix you and get you working right. It'll happen when you cast your care upon him because he cares for you. Amen? Second thing, fear. Fear is a big thing in our generation. I put in here, 1 John, there is no fear in love. But love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been perfected in love. I want to submit to you that if you still have fear operating in your life, you're not submitted under the Lordship of Jesus Christ for the love of God that was poured out in our hearts because of Jesus. You need to submit to God's love. Submit to him. He will deposit his love and he will perfect love in you so that you don't fear anything. I'm just going to tell on my wife for a second. And this is church and we can do that. A couple nights ago, y'all had one of y'all crazy storms that apparently y'all don't get worked up about. I'm like, there's a tornado outside your front door. it'll be all right. We see those all the time. So Pastor Devin told me, he's like, like what? So no, seriously. So so I'm like, you know, I'm from Tennessee. We don't have a lot of those. We're in the hills. We have hillbillies. No, I mean I'm serious. That's where they came from, <laughs> Chattanooga. <laughs> it's funny. Um, but my wife was getting a little worked up with the storm. I mean, just a little bit. It's fine, babe. You can say it. Just a little. It's getting worked up. And I was just like, babe, the Lord has put nothing on my heart. I was being very serious. I was studying for you all. I was like, the Lord's not gonna have me study, and then like we all of a sudden we die in a tornado. You know, sorry, son, you weren't paying attention. You know. So I'm just like, no, babe, I think we need to wait. So she's like, we need to get Ellie up. So I go outside, and I do sense that there's, you know, there's some stuff at work here, and it's pretty intimidating. But I felt like, I was like, Lord, I'm coming out here to hear what you have to say about this storm. And so I began to pray over the storm, rebuking it. Come on now, we have authority. You guys are like, no, that's just Jesus. Okay, who are you in? Just saying, okay. <clears throat> Even the wind in the rain. And so I walk back into the house, and my wife goes, honey, can I get Eliana? can I go ahead and get Eliana? And I was like, uh, sure, babe, let's just, okay. So here we go. My associate pastors who are with us, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Greg, stand up so everybody sees you. Come on now. come on. Spiritual kids in the faith. I knew him when he was a thug and a rock star, tats everywhere. Tats are for the devil. And here we are, all all the four of us, pastors of the church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, with our baby asleep inside the closet of my uncle's house. I'm like, oh, he's got some records. I wonder he has up here. So I just kept studying after I realized that, you know, <laughs> we were going to be in here for a while. So the next day, beloved grandmommy comes over. And I think he said, hey, grandmommy, did, did, did the storm, did it, did, it, did it come your way or were you, did you notice? And she's like, no, I was, I was sleeping. I thought, well, Jesus is going to take care of me anyway, so... And I was like, how many of us that are operating in fear make the most irrational statements and the most irrational thoughts going through our mind, and then you talk to somebody who's fearless, and you're like, like, you aren't scared at all? Like, like when you're, you're like, you didn't like, ooh, no, no, you're like, yeah, but didn't, didn't you think like maybe there would be like a man that would come out of the storm and go, you will not preach at Grace Church, you know? irrational fears. Come on, you ever been in a house that has wood paneling? You walk through that house, man, I'm, I love light. Give me some windows. I go in grandmother's house, man. She's got wood paneling everywhere. It's scary. You feel like there's going to be a demon walking around the corner. You're like, ah, Eliana, why'd you do that? That's my daughter, in case you were wondering. She's not a demon. But that's the thing about fear. It involves torment. And torment says, what is going to happen to me? If you're completely submitted to God, you don't even live anymore. You don't exist outside of God who has all authority, all power. Everything is under his feet. And yet we're like, "Oh, oh, oh the storm. You know, I wish we could see what God sees. There's like a little bitty storm right in top of your house. And then the neighbor's over here grilling out. <laughs> and God's just like, look at Make like, it faster, man. You know? Third thing. Third thing of why we don't actualize the desires of our heart, doubt. I put on here to be waver, to be uncertain, to be double-minded. James 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproaching, it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Everybody say, no doubting. Yes. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from God. Pause. This is a, this is a description of God's character in your life. It says, if any of you lack anything, just use wisdom because that's something we're talking about in this particular context. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. He doesn't hold it back against you when you ask. What's crazy over here is it goes further and it says, but let him ask in faith. Complete abandonment and trust in anything else but complete trust in God. With no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from God. That means that God would give it and you wouldn't be able to receive it. That isn't God. That's you. That's me. We're the ones. And he's saying, look, ask in faith. Don't doubt. Don't waver. Jesus said in Mark seven, from within out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, adulterers, fornications, murders, thefts, uh, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and the foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. You cannot, you cannot live your life always questioning and doubting God. God is not afraid of your questions. He is not afraid of concerns that you may have, but when he says it, it's final. Believe it. Trust in him. He's faithful. It's not about the question. God, he is not, oh my word, I don't even know how to answer this child. What is he asking me? God is not intimidated by your questions, but what he's looking for is somebody who will obey immediately, even if he doesn't understand. It's called the fear of the Lord. You you have received him as your Lord. Lord, gets, he gets to say what he wants to say. But the problem is you don't realize he's so loving and kind because all you're focusing is on the Lord and the kingship part. You're like, oh, I don't know how to do this. We have a president. Don't I get the vote? No. No. This isn't a democracy. You've been entered into a kingdom. He's the king. And he's saying, stop doubting me. But then I went one step further here, and I put on here pride. Do not love the things of the world. For if anyone loves the world, and the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world and the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. One of the last things that I just want to talk to you about is that we talk about these issues. And I put pride as the last one because I wanted you to understand how important it is. Pride says, I know better. Pride says, I'm not going to do that. Pride is a rejection of something that you have been fully made fully aware of. And this is the thing that God puts in most that he resists us in is when we are proud, when we are prideful. And yet, when we humble ourselves, the grace of God comes in abundance. He gives more grace. Amen? So then my last thing that I want to say here is let's talk about this. How do we actualize it? Can we do that? You don't want to be falling asleep on me now. I ain't not even gone as long as Pastor Devin yet. First one: deny himself. To deny yourself is to den- deny oneself's place of prominence, preeminence, pleasure. You no longer live. Colossians 1:13 says, "He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, Son of what, son of his love." in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, all things, he may have the first place. He had made the place of prominence, the place of preeminence. I have a problem with that, because I like being first. Y'all like losing? Go Razorbacks, lose again. <laughs> nobody sits in front of the TV and does that. You lie. You're trying to coach them and they, they're not listening. It's like, I'm, I'm trying to tell you what to do. I remember my dad, I was like, dad, they can't hear you. They can't, the Razorbacks can't hear you. And they, you know, that was the year they won the championship. Scotty Thurman, yeah. Nobody wants to lose, nobody wants to be first, last. They wanna be first. Don't you like being in a place of honor? Don't you like being treated with respect? And he said, no, 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 Jesus. Jesus is first. He has the preeminence and everything he values, everything that he is, and that's really hard for us. I went one step further to give you some actual scriptures of encouragement to you. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a dichotomy scripture. You no longer live, but Jesus died for you. <laughs> the, 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 the concept here, what's being communicated is you need to live your life as if you do not matter. You are setting aside personalities. You're setting aside dreams, setting aside visions, everything you can just to see him lived out, his will, his desire. You no longer live. And the life that you do live in the natural, because you are alive, you are breathing, you are to live by faith in him. Colossians 2, 6 this is my favorite scripture, 6 and 7. Please get this. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, not the Savior, come on, so walk in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith that if you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. The second thing, take up his cross. This is actually an expression in the the Greek and it was something that was said and the way that they communicated was be prepared to suffer because of the cross. So we, we read take up, Take up your cross. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. This says, be prepared to suffer because of the cross. Mark 10, 29 through 30, this is one of the most um, depressing promises of God. (laughs) Jesus answered and said, I assuredly say to you that there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this present time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children, and lands. And then all the faith preachers go, isn't this amazing? And they leave out the last part of the verse, with persecutions. Can you imagine if I'm like, you are going to have so much money in your bank account this year. I'm going to give you so much money. And then I'm going to make it all work against you. Where everything you do will fail. What? But you love me, right? And in the age to come, eternal life. So yes, he finishes with the hardships that will come our way because of the cross, but says, but look, your reward will not only just be in this life, but also in the life to come, eternal life. 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Acts 14.22 Paul, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, said to them, We must, through many tribulations, enter into the kingdom of God. And Revelation 12, 11, that nobody finishes the verse. It says, And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Yes, amen. And the word of their testimony. Amen. And they did not love their lives, even unto death. I hate that part of the verse. I don't hate God's word. I hate that part of the verse. Because that says to me, I might die for accepting the greatest gift on, on, on the planet. Embracing the fullness of who he, is, who he is may cause me to be put to death. Man, they don't tell us that in vacation Bible school. <laughs> Repent, you sinner. Stop being disrespectful to your mom. The last one, follow me. This is hard for our generation because nobody understands who the spirit of the Lord is. He is the spirit of Christ. He is the same spirit who hovered over, hovered over the face of the deep. He is the spirit of truth. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And it says in Mark 10, 29, Jesus said, I still have many things to tell you, but I cannot, you cannot bear them. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Everybody say, guide you. Say, guide me into all truth. Galatians 5, 16 says, I say then, walk in the spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The last thing that I want to say tonight, that I, this morning, that I think is really important for all of us to understand is that the desire that you have in your heart is important. It is valuable. But the issue is not the desire. The issue is the actualizing of the desire that's in your heart. We have been called to God's side as his child, as his children. But we have also been called to be a disciple of his and where the gift of salvation is free to all who will receive it, discipleship will cost you everything, maybe even your own life. But I can testify with myself and those that I have pastored over the last seven years that if you will just forsake everything that you are, everything that you believe, the good and the bad, Paul says, I haven't already attained, I'll forsake everything that's behind, the good and the bad, just to know him. If you will do that, you will see God move mightily in your life. You will see the promises of God become a reality. Yeah, you might face some persecutions. You might might face some hard times because of the cross of Christ, because everything is against the cross of Christ. But I'm telling you that he's worth it. And what I wanna do is I want everybody just close your eyes for a moment. Close your eyes and just think about the desires in your heart that you have for God. And I want you to think about what it is in your life that God is speaking to you right now that he is wanting you to count the cost. Beloved, count the cost. What is it in your heart that God is asking you to lay down? What is he asking in your heart to give up? Is it a mindset? Is it a, is it a pleasure is it a job uh, mentality that you have of that you have to be the boss of everybody when you have nothing? Do you have the preeminence? Do you have ignorance in your life? Do you need to know more about God? Do you have fear operating? Do you have doubt operating? Do you have pride? What is it that God is speaking to you, beloved? What is he speaking to you specifically? And I want you to lay that right now on the altar where God wants to completely wipe you clean from all of that filth and completely make you whole. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray over every heart in this place as they have desired to know you, to be used by you, that you would reveal to them your love and passion for them, that you see the desires of their heart, that you see that they want to do right, that they want to walk in unity, that they want to love. But God, I'm asking for the grace, the supernatural grace of God, in abundance, God, would flow in their lives, that they would be able to actualize these desires, God, that they would be able to, to live out who they really are in you. I break every demonic attack that has been sentenced against your life, that has been spoken out against you. It is broken right now in Jesus' name. I speak life to your mind and to your heart. It does not matter what has happened to you. God has seen you and he is for you. He is not against you. I speak healing. I speak life. I speak longevity. I speak peace. I speak wholeness. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, you are—you, your future is not dictated by what has been done to you in the past, by what you have done. It does not dictate what will happen in your future. Your God is for you. Cast your care upon Him. In Jesus' name, peace. In Jesus' name, the peace that surpasses all understanding guards our hearts and minds. Right now, you are not stupid. You are not ignorant. You are not foolish. Be whole in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say this as Pastor Devin comes back up. I, I, I absolutely love you. And I have seen so many who have not stayed the course that have given up along the way. But I promise you that if you'll just keep your focus on Jesus, even when you don't understand what you're going through, that he is faithful and he will come to your aid and he will help you overcome because he wants you to overcome all the way to the end.